This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 60 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. We recently had a hangout with Steve Tibbett where he was talking about how to raise up new leaders and we're bringing you the recording of that hangout today. You can find the full notes on everything that Steve said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 60. So here is our hangout with Steve Tibbett. I guess I was, uh, when I was saved at 19, uh, I'd uh, gone to a church for a long time but really knew nothing about leadership or leadership development. But I was very fortunate to be in a Baptist church in Bedford called Brickell Baptist where the pastor Peter Ledger very quickly involved me. So by the age of 21, I was hosting the biggest outreach event, which was called the Christmas Eve Carol Service. It involved standing at the front and introducing a few carols and then speaking very briefly. And at the age of 22, I was invited to sit in the elders meeting of a 300 member church which uh, on reflection was just uh, a massive privilege Uh, and uh, did that for five years then became a youth pastor there and was on staff at Bedford for five years before moving to King's at 32 to lead uh, King's. King's uh, then was a church of around 150, 200 and since then as some of you may know has grown uh, uh, rapidly. I hope I can serve you well. I've never planted a church, but obviously has been involved on and off in uh, raising up uh, leaders. Um, I guess the first thing to say is I'm a big fan of giving people responsibility and drawing them into context maybe at a young age so that they get the type of exposure I did. I was a rather opinionated young man, which uh, on reflection, I'm not sure I would have handled myself with as much grace if uh, I'd been sitting in Peter's chair, but I'm very grateful to him and the other elders that put up with my uh, my early years. I just want to root what I'm going to share tonight, and I don't know how long I'll speak. I, I, as you, some of you will know, I enjoy doing coaching and really like the interaction so that those of you that are online, you get the benefit of asking the question you really want to answer. But let me just read from 2 Timothy 2 first. Um, You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. A famous verse and a great verse to speak out of when talking about uh, leadership development and raising up of leaders. Uh, I love the context. Paul goes on to speak about uh, using a picture of farmers and athletes and soldiers. And I think if you're going to raise leaders up or you want to grow as a leader yourself, then that kind of diligence, I'm always amazed at the commitment of athletes to get up daily, control their food intake, uh, and to perform at such a high level at great personal cost for a gold medal, let's say. And I sometimes think that as Christian leaders, we don't put anywhere near the same amount of commitment into our own uh, development. So it's a, a, a challenging example that the Apostle Paul draws from. So just some principles to get us going. Uh, firstly, he speaks to uh, you then, my son. And I think good leadership uh, development, raising leaders is done best in a relational context uh, where you can share lives. I, I mean, I had the privilege of going to Bible College, Spurgeon's Bible College. And that was really important to get a good theological foundation. But I really learned uh, how to lead a church by being around other leaders, leaders with that I had some friendship with. I could see their lives up close. Uh, I could see how they handled pressure. Uh, and I think uh, uh, the best leadership is done in a relational context. I have Um, not so much nowadays, but very early on in Leading Kings, we very often do a kind of like a discipleship group where I'd invite uh, guys, all couples. Deb and I have done 
a whole mixture of things where we'd invite people around our house and we would just meet and share lives together alongside giving people real responsibility. Uh, and I think that real successful development of leaders uh, is done relationally and there are reasons that that bears good fruit. And we'll get on to that in a minute when we talk about things of character and philosophy of ministry and values. So you learn that close up uh, and so it's good to uh, share your life with other other leaders. And normally they're younger than you, is my experience. It's very difficult to really, uh, raise, you know, even change someone's kind of core convictions by the time they hit their 40s, 50s. So very often you're working with leaders that are, kind of new in and that that's where you can sort of get chemistry and synergy in the way you view the world and that they can kind of uh, learn your ways in Christ. Uh, I think actually planting a church, I've had a little bit of experience and I've been seeing church plants in London. I always advise my church planters the way to grow a church uh, plant is just get lots of people around your house. Sunday is important, but you can even do that premature. You want to gather 30, 40 people uh, but the way you really grow a church, the advantages of being slightly smaller is to you can get close up with people and they will value that type of input. I think one of the other challenges I observed in planting churches, sometimes people come to be involved with a church plant because they're disappointed with the lack of opportunities they've had in their existing church. And one of the early challenges a church planter faces, is this someone that's coming with their agenda or are they here to help with what I feel God's called to do? And how you navigate that through probably in the first 18 months is one of the key leadership steps you have to take. So first thing, uh, Paul says, you're my son, and good leadership development happens in the context of relationship. Secondly, he says, grace to you. Can I say to all church planters, grace to you? I've always found that helpful phrase grace to you senior pastor church planter and I found it very helpful early on as a leader in my 20s when I was given quite a lot of responsibility I used to get really worked up about can I do it I found Romans 12 it talks about grace apportioned to you it's just a very helpful um, value in other words if it goes well it's it's God's grace and uh, you know you you have a part to play but keep leaning into God and keep giving glory to him and whatever your call is at this point and what you're giving yourself to uh, grace to you and lean into the grace of God it's all from him in the first place we will have to give an account we might be surprised when we do those of us that have been given uh, lots of leadership capacity will have to give an account for what God gave to us probably took me to my early 40s to really understand that I was uh, really my primary spiritual gift was leadership uh, though I did do a gift discovery uh, four years back by a guy called Selwyn Hughes which may be uh, for some of you listening in uh, he was uh, before uh, your time but I came out as a 20 year old as a leader as my primary spiritual gift but it took me a while to hone that and learn it uh, and I guess that would be the same for all of us but Anyway, grace to you. Uh, the next thing we pick up is the phrase um, and the things you've heard me say. So I just want to sort of hang on that for a while. I think Paul also in Philippians speaks of whatever you heard, you, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me. So once again, the important principle of raising leaders by example. But what you've heard uh, from me, what you've learned, and I think it's very important to learn and study, increase your knowledge, but also it's uh, what is received, in other words, what's imparted. Sometimes you get around leaders and you just, they just lift your faith or you get, I've been, when people have got a prophetic gift around me, it kind of pulls out the prophetic gift in me, not my primary gift, but it's a little, it's there if I'm alongside others, uh, or whatever has been whatever you've heard and whatever is that the person or the leader said so how, how you say things people catch this they're watching us and so therefore um, these are very important uh, steps I would like to just at this point uh, quote Andy uh, Stanley I found his comment in his book I think it's wider and deeper 
about how disciples are made. I think there's good parallels for discipleship and leadership development. He says, how do people learn? How do they grow? He said five things. I've, I've, I found them fascinating through practical teaching. Uh, so that could be theologically or, or leadership skills. I think we need, like we're doing now, you need some input, hopefully, from people that are a small step away. Through, secondly, private disciplines. So through your own self-learning, reading, and uh, uh, feeling. So if I'm ever doing leadership development with people, I always give them books. If they're married, I always give them a few marriage books. That's a great place to learn uh, actually how to uh, grow uh, those type of contexts in marriage. Uh, thirdly, Andy Stanley says, through personal ministry. There's no shortcut. I will throw people in the deep end, give them, you know, give them, give them opportunity. It's a great way to grow. Fourthly, through uh, providential relationships. I am uh, very fortunate to meet a friend of mine called Steve Nicholson, who leads a large vineyard church in Chicago. He's been like a mentor. It was uh, an introduction to my friend Dave Stroud. I met him and we just connected. I pursued the relationship. I visited Chicago a couple of times. And at key moments, Steve has come in uh, as a very experienced leader to guide me and the church here in London and so, you know, there are sometimes just God-given relationships and they're worth pursuing, uh, and particularly as a young leader, uh, to, to do that. But I think God raises you up, trains you through interaction with other leaders. And then lastly, pivotal circumstances. Just the circumstances of life are a great training context. And sometimes you can't, you know, people just mature through life experience. As I said earlier, I think marriage is a great place to learn. Uh, uh, and uh, raising kids is another one. My gosh, that's a great place to learn about yourself. And uh, so I think these are other ways that God raises leaders. It's not just about uh, you and me getting a group of people, men and women, in in our environment. There's lots of ways that God is, is about training someone and raising them up. Um, one of the things that you hone, I think, over years is a philosophy of ministry. And I, I wonder if I could just add that into the mix. Uh, I think very often we are rightly so emphasizing values. We're saying to leaders that we're raising up, look, this is, you know, I think we want to be grace-filled, we want to follow the word of God and the spirit of God. And very, very important. Uh, but philosophy of ministry is something that you develop over time, which really, uh, if I can just summarize what I mean by philosophy of ministry, is a prioritization over your values, one over another, and then how you work out that value. Uh, so, you know, this would be, uh, you know, within the New Frontiers family discussions around the use of spiritual gifts on a Sunday. Is that appropriate? Uh, well, that's that, that is a value we all hold, and uh, but there's at least discussion. Is that uh, how does that impact our missional reach? So uh, we've always been missional. We've always wanted to reach lots of people, but you have a, a potential clash of um, of value and prioritisation at that point, and so you have to uh, work that out. And different leaders do, and then. Obviously, once you've worked out your values and your priority of values in your philosophy of ministry, you have to apply that through your gift and your context. And fruitful ministries seem to be able to hone their philosophy so it works for their context. In other words, what works for kings in an urban, diverse, multi-site context might look great from outside and people might come along and say, well, let's copy what they're doing at King's. That might be a huge mistake. If you haven't integrated your own philosophy, which reflects your gift, your context and, and your, your values and your priority on values. So, in other words, what, happened, what might work well here in London might not work in a rural church plant. And I think very often leaders just copy what I see as fruitful without kind of peeling off some layers and understanding it in uh, uh, a more uh, detail. 
Uh, and when you're raising up leaders, this becomes increasingly important that you have those around you that understand your philosophy of ministry if you've got to a point where you're ready to articulate it. It takes probably a number of years to hone this. And uh, in overseeing churches, I've found that very often the issue that causes conflict isn't in fact a value, it is a philosophy of ministry. So, you know, many churches would say we're, we're into mission. Many would say they're into worship or, or let's say counselling. But what people mean by that and the bandwidth they're comfortable with is really how it works out. I always think mission is a great example. What is your missional philosophy? Well, at King's, we're about journey. We're about story. We're about, we're, we're attractional. That is our, 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 it might not be as, um, well, we are incarnational. We must be incarnational. If, you, if, you, if, uh, if you're not incarnational, then you can't invite someone. But our experience in our context with my gift and the, you know, the facilities we have, that to invite people in and expose them to Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and ask them to make a next step is part of our philosophy, which is why we don't do door-to-door knocking. We don't do any much or any street work. Uh, and our issue has been uh, the retention of all the people coming through. It hasn't been the, the need to go out and reach people. Now, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. And obviously in the church planting context, one of my church planting heroes is um, uh, Pete Cornford. I mean, he delivered a thousand leaflets every week. He grew a church by praying, walking around Hillingdon and delivering a thousand leaflets. So you have to get out there and create some momentum. Uh, but uh, you kind of have to work it out for yourself on that in your context and your gift and what you've got faith for. And then the other thing to just flow in with philosophy of ministry is just the, the difference of church size. And most church plants start with a handful of people and therefore you really want to maximise those um, the strengths of that, which is personal contact with a church planter more than anything else. Uh, the fact that someone will feel they have the access to you and that's why, as I said earlier, the best way to raise leaders up is to um, invite them around your house, run discipleship groups. When we first got to King's, we would, if I met a leader on a Sunday morning, I invited them back to lunch. That's what Deb and I had enough food prepared. If I met a leader, I'd invite them back to lunch. If I met someone that's new to the church, I'd, I'd be warm with them. I'd try to remember their name and say, be friendly next time I saw them. If I met a leader... I wanted them to connect with me. And the, 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 the best way to grow a church plant is for them to get relational connection um, with you. Um, back to the passage. Uh, I've probably only got another two or three minutes to go. Uh, as I said, uh, I like to uh, take questions. So I've just seen them 20 minutes in already. So, uh, And then, of course, it says, entrust to reliable men. Never shortcut the the importance of reliability. Sometimes it is not as exciting, uh, but a faithful man or woman is far better to build with than someone that's highly charismatic or gifted. I learned this one very early on when I was a youth pastor. I had a guy on my team, all the young people loved him. He was a better youth worker than me, had a great skill at connecting, the only trouble was is he didn't know from one week to another whether he was going to be on an emotional high or an emotional low. And in the end, that caused uh, instability in the young people because they were thrown by how he could be on fire one week and relating to them well and the next week withdrawn. Uh, and so character is vital. My observation is that it's in the areas of character where people fail and fall in ministry, you know, the kind of measure, treasure, pleasure, the money, sex, power is normally a character issue. And as I've uh, grown as a leader, I think it's fair to say that over the years now, 
Um, I know that my character, my capacity, my emotional capacity to carry increased responsibility has to develop in parallel with all that God's doing in ministry. I've also, Deb and I have found our marriage needs to grow in parallel as well uh, so that we can carry the, the pressures of uh, serving God. Um, so reliable and then lastly, uh, qualified to teach others. Uh, if we had time to look at 1 Timothy 3, we know that one of the qualifications of eldership is able to teach. So you want someone that is able to teach depending on your context and the other resources you have. So in some way, someone who is ideally is reliable, understands your weight in Christ, your philosophy of ministry, that shared life with you, and you can then allow them to pass on to the next generation the good news. And uh, and if you're wanting to grow a church, give real responsibility to people and they can pass on how we do it around here. Uh, that's less of a... An issue in a smaller context to be because it kind of happens by osmosis, but uh, in my context, we have to define it a little bit more. Um, but there you go. There's some there's some thoughts. I hope that uh, has served you well, um, Hannah. I'm going to sort of I can waffle on for a long time, but I, I think if it's okay, I'll be a lot happier to go to questions and see if there are any out there. And um, is that okay? Fabulous. That that is indeed is absolutely fine. We've got quite a few people who are plugged in tonight, uh, not just in the UK but also in Europe. So it's very exciting. I can recognise some of you people out there. So oh. thanks for tuning in. Um, and we've got a couple that require kind of a bit of clarity on certain things that you've said. So we'll start with those before we go into some of the others that have come through. But okay. please do do keep them coming. Um, the first one is, could you just please repeat the first way of growing? I think someone missed that bit. I said uh, doing the context of relationships. So Paul writes, you are my son, uh, you then my son. So I was talking about the, the way you grow leaders, you get in relationship with them. And that would be a high value for us, wouldn't it, with the new frontiers to be relational. So, it, you know, we're friends, we're brothers. You might have a father-son relationship. I think that can be overplayed, particularly if you're young. Uh, you know, you're more brotherly. And I also said it's more difficult to disciple someone that's older than you. And you have to way you relate to people of different age and, and sometimes culture as well. So, yeah, the first point was let's do it in relationship. The best way to, to raise someone up is by spending time with them. Fabulous. Okay, right. Another one that is asking for clarity. Um, I'm not quite clear what you mean by philosophy of ministry. Can you give us some examples, please? Okay, well, I'll, I'll, for me, I've always defined philosophy of ministry as the prioritization of your values, one over another, and how you work out a particular value in practice. And I use an example of, when I was talking just now, of outreach. I think everyone would agree in the value of outreach, but the way you do that is very different. Some do it through an attractional model. We call it High Sunday at King's, where we invite, we, we equip and motivate our church to witness to Jesus all the time and invite people in. Unashamedly, we're an attractional church. Um, uh, but there are other ways that you can do, you know, treasure hunting, signs and wonders on the streets. Uh, I think you have to say what you've got faith for, what fits into your context. So the second thing about philosophy of ministry is how you work out the value. And what I found conflict normally comes in things when uh, it's not that you don't agree on a value. We all agree on we want to preach the Bible, but are we going to do it thematically or exegetically? That, that, that kind of tension, uh, use another example, it's really in the outworking that the tension comes. And that's why you really want to raise up and learn together and come up with a, like a, a philosophy of ministry, which you're all on board on. And therefore, it's a lot easier to move quickly through your decision making process. Brilliant. OK, um, that's really helpful. I've had a thank you back from the person Ooh. that asked those questions. So, um, yeah, it's good. Um, right. So moving on then, delving into some deeper things. Um, someone has asked, how do you handle very opinionated young leaders without crushing them? Well, I, I, I think that's 
that's really challenging actually I find that challenging and as I've got older I find it more difficult I think well they just listen to me I, I know what I'm doing but I I try to remember that I would like that myself I, I really do I think sometimes you can if it's particularly getting to you it might actually even be resonating with something that you kind of see in yourself I think sometimes we're harder on people than when we see something of ourselves in them we think hey. um, I don't know if that helps um, and then you've got to find some context to give feedback. I think if you don't give feedback, then you're actually, in the end, you're, you're exposing the person. You're not doing them any help. So you have to, some, you have to get alongside and say, look, um, what you, uh, you, uh, you know, help them express it in a more constructive way. And John Maxwell's great on this for the 360 leaders, and he says it's really easy to lead down. And a lot of young leaders are kind of, they lead down and they lead down quite forcefully because they're, um, you know, they, they don't feel secure. So they overplay their kind of leadership gift. But they haven't learned the art of leading across and leading up. And they're very different leadership skills. And so sometimes they start leading up just how they lead down. And, you know, that drives more experienced leaders up the wall. That does. Uh, they think, well, who's this young guy to tell me what to do? And I think our responsibility of those that are doing the discipleship is to get alongside and, and just start to say, you know, read this book, 360 Leader. Uh, and I know when I'm with my younger leaders, I, I talk about, you know, when I'm at Kings, I've been the pastor there 21 years. Uh, you know, I can normally say, I think we should do it this way ultimately. But in most other leadership contexts within New Frontiers, I'm just a peer or actually I'm less than that, I've got people that are over me and, and I literally mentally walk into other contexts and say, look, in this context, you're not the senior pastor of Kings, you're just, you're one of the brothers. And so just adjust one's leadership style. I think that comes with maturity uh, and experience. But yeah, some feedback and try and help them, I guess. Um, you don't want to squash it too much. That's That's the only thing because you want the edge of youth to come through, don't you? I don't know if that helps. Yeah, yeah re really brilliant. Really good answer to that one. Um, okay, moving on. This one was going to crop up, wasn't it? Hi, Steve. Do you have any good examples of how a male leader might invest in and raise up female leaders in the church, especially in terms of how you establish the close relational aspects of that process? Good question. Yeah, good question. I think most of the leadership development that we do, we do in groups. I don't, you know, I wouldn't, uh, for, I just I just wouldn't, for obvious reasons, do a close one-to-one -one relationship with someone of the opposite sex. Um, but, but most of the leadership development we do in groups, so you would have a mixed group, and, uh, and a lot of the time we would do that with couples. So Deb and I would do it together. Uh, some of the best leaders at Kings are women, and we have one, two, three, four or five uh, women pastors on the team at, at Kings, and uh, I just give them lots of responsibility. They are to get on the their main. I think one of my challenges is most of my leadership development happens now through the kind of staffing, um, and uh, so. Um, but yeah, we, we give uh, women lots of responsibility. Uh, they are, yeah, um, Hillary and Annie and Cindy and Janet and people like that. It's, it's just some of our best best leaders. So they're kind of picking up the kind of you know the, the, the way we do things through just being in meetings and chatting. Um, but yeah, I don't. I, 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 I'm very happy to. Take another question on that, F. Uh, but that, that, that's some yeah. comment. Yeah, no, that's helpful. So in teams, as couples, in groups, particularly about the relational aspect, um, there has been a second question about this, um, which is a bit broader, so maybe this will be easier for you or kind of um, a broad question for you to answer. Is there any particular advice you can give on developing women leaders? Um, I, I think for me, I, I, I just look for leadership gift. I don't look that through a gender lens. 
So I can spot a leader. I think I found that leaders see leaders, particularly leaders like themselves, more difficult cross-culturally than it is in gender. So you can pretty quickly find out if a, a, a woman is a leader, just ask her what she does for a job. I mean, that will, I mean, ask that question very early. Well, what do you do? What do you do at work? You know, you'll find out someone's got leadership or management or responsibility. And then probably the best thing you do is give them responsibility. You know, say, do something. Um, I mean, I think a lot of leaders are developed not in the church, they're developed in their work context. I mean, my business background really helped me in leading a larger church. And a lot of the high capacity leaders we have in the Kings are not on our staff. They're just, you know, doing loads of different jobs in London and further beyond. Uh, So, yeah, so that's the best I can do off the top of my head. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. Um, then there's a question that's coming about then, obviously following on from that, a lot of focus can be on white-collar leaders. Can you comment on, someone's termed it, blue-collar leaders? I guess this is a class question I hear there. I mean, it's quite funny. We did some research at King's and found out that something like 60% of people that come to King's have a degree. Um, most of the uh, staff that we have have a degree. Though myself, I left school at 16, um, dyslexic. I have no levels. I, I was a dosser at school. So, uh, And my executive pastor, who at King's is a, a key role, because it covers all the legal and finance, left school at 18. I think he doesn't have a degree. So it's interesting some of our senior leaders at Kings are not, in a sense, you know, graduates and have made their way through another lens. I, we did take up at some point, we, we, we copied another church's sort of qualifications to be a pastor. And one of them says, you, it was one of the qualifications, you have to have a degree. And I just said, let's take that out. We, we, we're, we're, we're not. Uh, there, 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 there was Apostle Peter Ample, and they, one was a. Like a, a, I mean, I started as an apprentice in the printing industry, and so uh, I, um, I, I, I get that. That, that all said, uh, my experience of developing leaders is that uh, most of them, it's worth asking, you know, what education you've done, and I, the danger of this is, is in trying to be balanced, you downplay the, the importance of good qualifications and uh, and and life experience and what people have done already past performance is normally the key indicator for future performance in most things in life and so therefore when trying to work out is this a leader to invest in if they've kind of jumped from job to job and left school at 16 but they're kind of quite friendly and keen that might give you signs that that is not the right person to invest in um your context of course would be critical if you're working in Oxford, yeah, I don't think I would be a good fit in Oxford. I'm quite good in Lewisham, you know. It's a good mix here. I also married a very bright girl, which also helps, which has really helped the Tibbet DNA pool. So, you know, this, these these are other factors that you've got to take into account. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Um, that's the best I can do on that one. No problem at all. So... Talking about raising leaders from other contexts, there's a question that's coming because you mentioned cross-cultural. Um, mm-hmm. So someone was saying, what tips regarding spotting cross-cultural leaders do you have? Obviously, we're looking at different kind of groups, so, you know, social groups, but now cross-cultural. Is there anything else you want to add on to that? Yeah, I mean, I find that the most difficult thing to do. If you, if you uh, connect me with a white 30-year-old business person, I can see it immediately. It's like, and you need to talk to them for a couple of minutes and they'll come and go, okay. Uh, but King's is very diverse, 60% black, uh, 20% African, 20% Caribbean, 20% black British. Um, and there's just a whole range of other dynamics involved in honor-shame cultures. So I think for me, uh, 
some African and Asian cultures are very different in the way that they would not push themselves forward. So kind of historically in New Frontiers, we would kind of recognise the anointing or the gift on someone. They start praying out regularly. They start contributing. You go, oh, I, I recognise what God's doing on this person. That's that's fine. If you're in a culture that, I mean, South Africans, in my experience, have never been shy stepping forward. Uh, but other cultures, particularly Asian and some African cultures, would just defer. And so it doesn't look like they're taking any initiative, but they won't take initiative until you give them permission. And you might need to ask them more than once. <laughs> so if you only ask them once, then they think you've just been pleasant and British, but you need to really empower them and give them permission, which can sound a bit like, why do they need permission from the pastors? And that, that's just being culturally aware. And you learn this by uh, by talking it through and finding those that probably can bridge the cultures. So uh, there are things like, oh, gosh, through our white lens, if you meet a, a strong uh, African-Nigerian woman, you can misread that very quickly if you just read it through a white British lens. They're just strong. They just say it direct. In fact, the way they handle feedback is they'll say it a lot more directly, uh, but they'll be far more submissive to your leadership. I think uh, I've uh, just dipped into a, just a, a book called uh, The Cultural Map. It was on the GLS that we hosted. Brilliant book on how different cultures in, interface uh, and how we just have a breakdown of communication at a very basic uh, uh, level. So that, that would be a book I would uh, uh, recommend. Most of us, I think on this one of cross-cultural resonance, across, most of us still, I think, are, are predominantly reaching people like ourselves. And so you can do too much on this. Uh, and, you know, 80% of your church is white British or... So, you know, make sure you reach them first. And then we have to, you know, we, we, we there is no majority at King's. And white majority, we're definitely not, we're, we're, we're a minority now, so we, uh, everything we do has to be cross-cultural. And as you can see from the answer, I've still got much to learn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was just going to ask you, um, given that your church is so diverse, do, do does your leadership reflect that? You're saying you've still got lots to learn. Have you seen successes in bringing people through from other cultures into leadership? Yeah, yeah, I mean... My successes have been that they've done so well that I had a number of black pastors who then want to go on to lead their own church. So you only get so far and then they, you know, they, they develop. And so you get step forward, step back. Um, uh, and, and we've got seven elders. Three of them are, are uh, non-white. They're black, actually. Uh, so, yeah, we've, we've seen some progress. But that is, if I can say, the more, most challenging end of getting it right through your staff. Uh, but, yeah, we, we've seen... Um, some progress. I've had to get used to being called pastor. I have to get used to on a Sunday if I was at King's, if let's say you were coming to a door and there was, you know, my culture would be open the door and let the person through. That won't happen at King's. People will stop. They will see me in because of the honour culture. So this is a senior pastor. Um, uh, and so I just walk through now and say, thank you. Uh, I went for a meal somewhere, a Sri Lankan family. I arrived uh, to them. I'm the honour guest. So it actually is very, it's like the Bible more. Okay. So we, uh, you know, then you understand who am I sitting next to because that gives honour. That is far more kind of African Asian cultures. I turned up, there was champagne, there's food to die for. I'm thinking, this is great. Okay, I can get into this. It's a sunny day. So I say, let's go and sit outside. They asked me, would I like to sit outside? Yeah, it's a lovely sunny day. We go outside. I'm out there for 20 minutes. And I'm thinking, all oh, the food's getting cold. And I'm thinking, what's going on? And then it dawns on me that until I say, let's go in and have Sunday lunch, we're going to be sitting out here. And I thought, come on, Steve, get up to speed. Because that is not my culture. I mean, I'm waiting for the host to kind of say, let's go and eat. But I suddenly realised that, you know, in that culture, they were honouring me, uh, which makes me feel a little uncomfortable because that's not a white British culture. We pull our leaders down. We're cynical. We do everything we can to keep them humble and all things like that. 
so that's just one of many uh, mistakes uh, we 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 we've made, and yeah, it's fun though. Like you said, you're still learning. Like you said, much to learn. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. Yeah. Now we're gonna go. We've got another question. Questions are still coming, and uh, thank you guys. It's really helpful. Um, you got a lot to ask. Um, you mentioned the difficulty in bringing through leaders who may be older than, say, the church planter. However, in the context of a small church plant, when leaders are thin on the ground, how can a young leader develop an older leader who may be, as you said, stuck in their ways? Mm. I think it's really difficult. I don't, I, I, I mean, I was very fortunate. I can only talk from my own experience that I inherited when I came here two leaders older than me who were good enough to let me have my head. And fortunately, we got some fruit, which gave me permission to press on and continue to change the culture that I inherited. So I think probably more importantly is how you relate to someone that's older. I think that's that's the thing and give them respect. And, uh, you know, if they're good hearted, which most leaders are, uh, then you, you, you've got to really know when something's really worth fighting for. Yeah, is this a fundamental? And I think church planters, you know, sometimes a bit idealistic, we're going to do it this way. And there's just a time for a judgment call, wisdom call. This is one that's not worth fighting over or I'll, I will pick this up on another time. I think you you want to, yeah, choose your battles wisely. I, I guess mostly, I suppose my point was that most leaders, by the time they're in their 40s and 50s, are for good or bad, are pretty well developed and honed in the sense of how they view things. They've been shaped by someone other than you. And there's some great stuff in that and there's some stuff you'll just have to live with. Um, yeah, that's the best I can do, I'm afraid, Hannah. No, that's, that's fair enough. Um, if you want any more clarity on that, just thinking of the person that's asked that, um, then then obviously please feel free to add a second question of that if you want to. Um, okay, well, so I'm just uh, needing a bit of help there. Right, okay, another question then. Interesting, you mentioned it's not as easy to handle older leaders when you are the younger senior leader. What tips would you have? Well, okay. Uh, uh, thanks for coming out of the game for me. I mean, when I came to Kings, I inherited a team of 12 people um, and they were all older than me. I was the youngest person in the room. And I just think at that stage, you have to lead in a far more consultative way. You just... Um, where I think very... When you're early on, you're trying to you know, show that you, you're trying to show that you know what you're doing and uh, we're going to make this plan, I'm the guy, we're going to do it. And uh, but I, I just think that early on in leadership, you want to lead like a chair, like a, a, um, a coordinator. Take lots, speak to lots of people, get lots of people's, involvement in the decision uh, so there's a, there's a leadership I'm just trying to remember it, you know, there are many appropriate ways to lead so there is autocratic persuasive uh, uh, and there's consultative and laissez-faire and, and, and democratic, that's right, democratic is the fourth. So let me say that again. There's all autocratic, persuasive, consultative, democratic, and then just anyone, anything goes. And I think early on, you want to be lower down on the consultative and democracy end, particularly in a small plant church. And then gradually, as you gain trust, and you can go to consultative and persuasive. Yeah, I think in most situations, autocratic is not helpful. It is if you're in a fire and someone's going to make a decision to get out or you're at war 
and someone says over the top everyone boys okay so there's appropriate leadership styles for different seasons of ministry in different contexts and i think when you're starting out the danger is to feel you've got to push up the top end persuasive autocratic show you're a leader and uh, where i think wisdom is you know consultation so just lots of dialogue and so when i first came to king's I mean, I kind of did that, I think, instinctively. I just wasn't established. I'd come into an existing church and an existing team and I would chair the meeting and we'd discuss things and, you know, I'd put my two pennies in and um, and we'd find our way through. There you go. That was a better answer, I think. No, that's brilliant. Okay, moving on. Uh, we've still got about a good ten minutes, so uh, if you want to ask, ask now because we are uh, we've got a few still to do. Um, if you've given people responsibility and they have proved to be unreliable, how have you handled helping them challenge? Oh, sorry, have you handled helping them change, taking that responsibility? Oh gosh, okay. How have you helped? Sorry, how have you helped? to help them change or take that responsibility back from them if that made sense it's kind of like yeah, no. um i think this is one of the big challenges yeah this is one of the big leadership challenges which makes church leadership so much harder than most other leadership co- contexts in that i mean if you have someone that's doing a job and they're not doing very well if you ask them to stand down in most times they'll leave that that most research shows that so so I sometimes ask them to do something different, sort of sideways move. I think you're, you, you have to make a judgment of what, how critical this is to the overall health. Is this like a fundamental, if I don't make this, then the plant's not going to succeed, or can I live with this? Um, you must give feedback Otherwise, you leave people just hanging out there and you're frustrated. They'll get feedback indirectly or in the moment of frustration from you. We've all done that. I've done that. But, uh, uh, but yeah, that normally you ask them to do something else. That, 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 that's the way I would move someone, if particularly if they're a volunteer. Uh, or I would kind of find a way to... Uh, supplement support um, and ideally you want them to, you want a part of the challenge of pastoring is helping them to see for themselves that maybe they shouldn't be doing this and that's where we get into all the kind of soft skills of leadership and yeah that, that that's 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 an art more than a science and that's something that you learn through probably experience as much as a, 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 a uh, a lecture or anything like that so what it says is be really careful about what you ask people to do yeah. um, and so the selection process obviously in the church plan your, your resources is limited and so you know you've got to work with what God, God has given you and uh, God is working with you so uh and someone might do a role for two years and then in our experience it's been more as the church has grown someone that was brilliant with 200 people couldn't do the same job at 400 or 600 or whatever and so that's very tricky because they've been faithful it's not they haven't done a bad job it's just they in the end their uh, their fruitfulness has kind of led to a point where the ministry's outgrown their capacity that's a really difficult conversation to have particularly when you have staff who's their job as well so I have great sympathy with the the, the, the question, uh, and I think it's one of the most demanding parts of church leadership. Yeah. Um, thank you. Uh, next question. How do you handle leaders who you know will need to lead their own work at some time and will be benefiting whilst and will benefit being with you for a while? How yeah. much can you give them? Uh, give them as much as you can. You've got to have a vision beyond what you're building. I mean, I, I started this evening telling the story of the opportunities I was given at Brickhill. And I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for, one, my father's involvement, who would be probably the person that disciplined me in leadership more than anything. 
and the, the Peter Ledger, the pastor. That, uh, and so I had huge opportunity in Q, caused them huge pain, I suspect. Um, but I hope they look on and think the pain was worth it in view of what God, how God has used me since. So I think you've got to, you've got to, you know, people have a contribution to make while they're with you, and a part of part good pastoring is discipleship and raising up and increasing capacity. Sometimes that you see the benefit of, um, and sometimes the kingdom. So I think you've got to retain uh, uh, that attitude. Okay. Just we to reference a, the answer yeah, of the last... Go on, sorry. We have people coming, learning and moving on every week. Uh, so you kind of get used to it a bit. Okay. In reference to your um, last question, there was a bit of clarity asked, actually, sought after. What do you mean by soft... You talk about soft skills of leadership. Can you just bring a bit of clarity to that for someone, please? I think for me, what I was trying to communicate there is just the kind of personal interaction with people. Uh, so emotional intelligence. Uh, yeah, most that's, of time, that's fine. That, that's empathy. Yeah, that's... Some, I, you know, I'm a kind of let's make it happen type person, but I can, if I just pause get beyond the task and really say, okay, there's a, there's a person sitting in front of me and, uh, 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 and that, you know, I want to see them succeed as well as what I'm trying to do here. Okay. Thanks for that. That's, that's helpful. Um, okay. We're coming towards the end. Um, I've got a question that's linked back to cultural diversity. People are very interested in that. Obviously, you have the experience. Does the church life reflect the cultural diversity, for example, in worship? Do you have a variety of styles or try to reach a happy medium? I think people that come to King's would say that we don't feel it's as diverse as it should be, but most people that come to King's would think, oh, this worship is very different to what, most New Frontiers Church experience. So our, our worship team led a youth conference uh, recently and just had a, a, a slightly different style. So we would choose more gospel songs. We The kind of style and words that we might go for, we'd happily have a choir um, and... Uh, so, yeah, and our worship would be pretty vibrant in the sense of responsiveness. Uh, yeah, so I think, once again, more to learn and grow, but we need to have a church that also works for, you know, for white reflective or black reflective uh, people as well. So, but it, it, we probably have got, uh, you know, our own kind of style, which which would be, yeah, I mean, we sing songs from all, all over. We write our own songs, we sing songs from all over. But yeah, it would be slightly different. And I think that's something that's evolved over time. I think, once again, you, sometimes things like on diversity, I found that people get carried away on it. You know, there's 40 of us, and there are three people from this nation and five from that nation. So we've got to be diverse on everything. I think there are other things to give your attention to early on. Uh, and then when I mean, we're talking on philosophy of ministry, how, how we, you know, we are really clear uh, as elders of kings that we want to start with objective truth. We're going to sing about God before we sing about I or me or things like that. So there are sort of principles that overlay whole, whole things. But then we might, we might sing a song which is written by an, uh, an African in our church rather than the latest hit white rock one. Yeah, so a balance. Sounds good to me. Um, you quoted, someone saying you quoted a, a, the title of a book on overcoming cultural differences. Mm -hmm. I might have missed that. So if you, because I know you mentioned the GLS uh, talk. Yeah. So um, was there a book the, that you had that you could just... Cultural Map. Cultural Map. Uh, with, um, I think it's Erin Meyer. I think it's the writer. Um, fascinating yeah. Hmm. yeah 
It's got a website as well, I believe, there. For, remember, from the, from oh, very good, Hannah. I'm impressed. Very good. I listened to the talk. It was very inspiring. Oh, um, okay. um, how far... Right, we've got no more questions now, people, because we're going for our last... Oh, last three, and in fact, last two, but one of them is the one I was going to ask anyway. So how far in a church plant would you want to consolidate your leadership team? Uh, uh, what do you mean by consolidate? So, like, move from just having a group of people around or setting up an official leadership team that might one day become an eldership team? Um, is that the question, Hannah? I, I would, um, yeah, I mean, they don't specify that, but I'm going with a um, group of people moving to designated, specified group moving towards eldership. Okay. Okay, I mean, I think this is where you need outside help, apostolic outside help. Uh, I think another one of the tensions is my observation is in the early days, very often a couple plants a church. It's very much, a, you know, we're in this together, husband and wife. I think you need to navigate that one well as you start to establish leadership teams. That can be really difficult for a wife that has kind of helped set up, run the kids' work, and then suddenly is not on the leadership team uh, because you're working towards eldership and all those type of dynamics. So I think there's a lot of factors in there. Uh, and um, and I would just keep it pretty fluid early on, I think, that because one of the biggest challenges that you have when you plant a church is that some of the people that first come in 18 months' time, you might think, ah, they were great, but actually they've got really strong views. So I think, you know, the principle of scriptures be, you know, do not be hasty on laying on of hands. So take that principle and apply it more broadly. I would keep it pretty fluid early on and um, before you start to focus in. And so you might be two or three years into a church plant before you really say, right, this is the leadership team. You do need to make that transition. It's the other thing you do is get stuck uh, and the danger of that is it all kind of flows out of you ultimately it's not team it's it looks like team but really you're making all the decisions and so there is a key transition moment um, and uh, you want to involve those that are overseeing you that uh, hopefully got good experience on such issues I, I do know of one church that um, formed what was called um, the Early Direction Group, which was a group of guys who lead, but it, it gives flexibility, doesn't name it, and and um, create a problem in going forward. So um, I think they found that quite helpful. Um, mm. Right, my fin the final question is the one that I was going to ask anyway, except I'm phrasing it a bit differently. If you were going to be stuck on a desert island and you had to take three books on leadership, which three books from your extensive bookshelf would you grab that you would recommend to others? Just the ones off your top of your head. So if you thought yeah. about it longer, you might come up with others. Apart from the Bible, of course, which we just take for read, of course. Um, so I think Developing the Leader Within You by John Maxwell is my personal favourite leadership book. It's a brilliant, brilliant book. I've, I've read it numerous times I sometimes just take it on holiday with me see if I've missed something so that would be uh, a courageous leadership by Bill Hybels is uh, a phenomenal leadership book um, I read that book when it first came out and after reading it I thought uh, I'm a leader uh, but I couldn't write that book I can read that book and it just resonated with me um and another leadership book also. Um, uh, Bob Clinton's The Making of a Leader. Uh, I thought we might get into this, but haven't the different seasons of life and what God is doing with you through the different decades and seasons of your ministry. So, you know, that, you know, Jack Hayford says that there is winter, spring, uh, summer, autumn, you know, zero to 20 is winter, sort of sovereign foundations outside your control spring is 20 to 40 first fruits uh, shoots and god is at that point just interested in your development and most church planters are interested in 
the successor plant in the church where God's actually trying to teach you something which you might bear more fruit when you hit summer in your 40s. So between 40 and 60 is when, if you stay the course, you'll see most of your fruit out of what you've learned in the first uh, uh, 40 years. So Bob Clinton does a lot of stuff on that one and what God is, what, what, what's God trying to do in you, uh, in you as a leader as much as what you're trying to achieve. So those are my three, top three off the top of my head. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. And just a reminder that you can find the full notes on everything that Steve said at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 60. See you next time.